Nelson Dolly. All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 469. Just me and Jason today. And this episode is going to be quite interesting. If I had to encapsulate it, it's about cycles of time and the sky clock. But before we get in, this is an announcement for members. Uh, Fortune de Saint Germain agreed to do another QA episode. So if you are a member, you can log in at Crow Triple Seven Radio and go to the main forum. There's a thread, and Rose has offered an email address there. We're only going to accept questions for membership because we just get overwhelmed. There's just too many otherwise. We're only going to accept questions to the morning of the 11th because we're recording with Fortune on the 12th. So one last time, if you're a member, log in, go to the main forum. There's a thread that says submit questions for Fortune St. Germain. And as is usual, your questions, or if we get tons of them, the best of the questions will be read and answered by Fortune on the air. Again, you can only submit until the 11th. Please keep them short, concise, and to the point. Did I drop anything there, Jason? That sounds about right. All right. Well, we're going to jump in here. And the source material for what we're about to do came from a lot of places. The initial part I wrote and the backside or that most of our two Jason wrote. Uh, we drew from the worship of Augustus Caesar, from Steiner works. I mean, the first part of it's from all over the place. Um, but the main point here is that there was a time when the sky clock informed us, and we are far from that time now. And when we get to hour two, it's kind of astonishing some of the cycles of time that were tracked. But anyhow, it's all you, Jason. From the elder holy rishis of India up to classic Greece, it is claimed by previously secret spiritual doctrines that they did not speak of rock, dirt, gas, and stone when referring to what we call planets. When the disciples of the teachers of knowledge spoke in these older eras, the words moon, mercury, Venus, sun, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn in various languages, these words represented realms of spiritual gradation, higher aspects of spiritual nature, of which we are at the bottom for the sake of this conversation. Maybe not quite at the bottom, but the overall impression is that we are basically at ground level, to make the pun. Um, What's interesting about this is it comes back to the idea, um, if I was to ask everybody listening, is what we call Earth alive? Now, for me, it is. This is why, uh, logically, I can't accept things like um, this is all a computer program and other ideas that have come up. For me, the Earth is alive. And when I got out with my telescope all those years ago, and I'll be doing it again with the sun this spring, what I see out there is also just like here. One thing becomes another thing, becomes another thing, becomes another thing. And so it is quite interesting that when you read the older texts, they're really not talking about rock and dirt. And to put a fine point on it, really the only people talking about rock and dirt when we're talking about so-called planets is NASA. Every other place that I respect, they're not referring to the luminaries in that way. And lastly, of course, there's some kind of an energy that influences our realm with everything we can see. As the earth is alive, so too the heavenly luminaries used to be considered living intelligences delineating realms of spiritual influence or hierarchies. The keepers of knowledge claim that the most intimate pupil of St. Paul was Dionysus the Aeropagite. In these older, highly spiritual eras, the following words did not mean rock, stone, and gas, and language was used by learned disciples to mentally illustrate spiritual ideas and meanings. They go as follows in the order of this list to the sun and then on to outer influences. All right. So what we're going to break down here, of course, people who have read Steiner are going to be familiar with uh, the idea. So like if we're listening to NASA, we're going to hear words like orbit. So you can think of it in that way. For my money, and I think we'll get into that, Steiner gave a nod to Tycho Brahe. Tycho Brahe gave us what his layout of the solar system was. The difference is, is they're really not, in in one way, it's kind of like an orbit, but more than anything, it's a realm of spiritual influences. So based on at least three or four sources, this is what I could gather these realms were referred to. In other words, 
The first realm would be from what we call Earth to what we call the moon. Go ahead. The moon equates to the angels and the lowest of spiritual hierarchies above us. Mercury equates to the archangel. Venus, archai. Sun equals powers. Mars is mites. One may feel the idea of mighty. Jupiter is dominions. Saturn is thrones. Then we have the seraphim and cherubim, and then the Godhead. So basically, if we were looking at the way NASA lays it out, there would be these orbital models. So from our point of view, what we've been taught our whole lives is that, well, the Earth is being orbited by the moon. And beyond that, you know, we come to Mercury. So those realms, as I will refer to them, were looked at as spiritual hierarchies. And so when we begin to think about all the really old art that we've seen, and there's angels and arch- what are they talking about? They must have meant something. And here we begin to put together what the ideas were connected to. Now, in the past, I have questioned whether Mercury and Venus were flipped. Now, I've thought about this for quite some time now. I've talked to some really bright people. For this conversation, I accept that Mercury, it would go Moon, Mercury, Venus. But I think what actually happened now that I've reread some of the sources is that people long ago, to hide what they consider to be the truth, flipped those two signs and those two words to confuse people. Lastly, if you read some of the sources that I've cited, the idea is that this whole so-called solar system started with a Saturn, but it's not the Saturn that we see when we look through a telescope. It's not the ringed thing that we see when we look up. But Saturn is considered the most ancient. Part of the reason is when you're tracking the sky, Saturn moves pretty slow. It's pretty far out there, or at least that's how it's described. But the ancient ideas were the furthest from us. So it would be the ancient thrones of Saturn, the ancient seraphim and cherubim. I think there's actually two more that I can't really find good information. And then, of course, beyond, within, surrounding, uh, penetrating everything, the Godhead. I'll just say the Godhead. Everybody knows what I mean. To exemplify the spiritual meaning of texts mostly lost to our time, except in secret schools of knowing, we will examine the ancient celestial song, the Bhagavad Gita, from the spiritual point of view it was once intended and comprehended to be. From chapter 8, verse 23. I shall now describe to you the different paths of passing away from this world, one of which leads to liberation and the other leads to rebirth. Those who depart from this world during the six months of the sun's northern course, the bright fortnight of the moon, and the bright part of the day attain the supreme destination. Those who pass away during the six months of the sun's southern course, the dark fortnight of the moon, the time of smoke, the night, attain the celestial abodes. After enjoying celestial pleasures, they again return to the earth. These two bright and dark paths always exist in this world. The way of light leads to liberation, and the way of darkness leads to rebirth. All right. These are huge ideas. I, I'm just like you. Uh, I'm fascinated by what I'm reading, and I always think about this. As a matter of fact, as my mom was departing this world, I tracked these ideas. Uh, I had a friend that I grew up with who died actually on the winter solstice a few years ago, and I tracked these ideas. You can look it up in the Bhagavad Gita, chapter 8, verse 23. Steiner also references this. Basically, what they're saying, as far as I can make out, is they're describing, will you be reborn here, or will you go on to what they're calling the celestial abodes? But at the end of the day, here's the kicker. It sounds to me Like even if you go to the celestial abodes, it's maybe like a time of joy, a vacation of some sort, and then you have to come again. Now, as I read passages around these ideas, it really is laid out like we're kind of in a school or maybe a really tough boot camp. And one way or another, you're going to learn the lessons that you have to learn here before you depart. But that's just me reasoning it out. These are big ideas. And again, if I was you, I would go look these up or listen to what Jason said again. Big, huge ideas here. Next, you're going to explain in plain English using solstices and moon phases, waxing and waning. Okay, so basically everyone should get to know the moon a little better. And when you read ideas like this, you can kind of see why it's probably important. You can see why 
a moon is no longer run by the moon. It's a month now, and the sun is the, the arbiter. Um, it's been hidden. It's been pushed away. And the moon is so important to our realm in so many ways. When you look up at the moon, if the crescent is on the right, I hope I don't get this backwards. You can look it up if I get this backwards, because I have to look it up all the time. It's on the right, it's waxing. And if it's on the left, it's waning. When it's waxing, it's getting more light, more light, more light to full moon. When it's waning, it's getting less light, less light, less light to new moon. And the reason I explained it in this way is to show you that just by a glance, you can comprehend if you're headed to a full moon or a new moon. And that has a direct correlation with what we just read about older ideas of, am I being reborn or am I going somewhere else? Another claim of the once secret doctrines is that physical phenomena are merely the expression of spiritual facts. This, of course, refers to the idea of spiritual beings and realms of influence. By the way, we went to the moon and are going back soon. And before long, we are off to Mars. This sarcasm seeks to stand as proof that the materialistic idea of orbits and solar systems is nonsense. If we do go to any of the places called planets or moons, the spiritual ideas here are overridden. If we have never been and never will get there, the spiritual ideas begin to overtake materialism. Did we go? Are we going to moons and planets? So this is basic logic. Uh, for my part, I don't accept that we could, even with the best tech that we have, the way I view things currently is we are basically tuned to this place. In other words, we can't take our tennis shoes beyond our atmosphere, the tennis shoes representing materiality. And so the basic idea here is if NASA's right, then everything that we just read falls apart. If NASA didn't tell the truth, then all the more that these kinds of ideas should be looked at. But basically, uh, I think Steiner wrote a lot about this. A number of people have. Uh, it's the as above, so below idea in one way. Uh, if a thing has happened in our reality, the claim is, is that a spiritual thing has already occurred to make that happen. In other words, another way that you could maybe think about it is there's no such thing as coincidence, which I accept wholeheartedly. If a thing happens, anything, it's because something else happened and on and on we go. Uh, if I throw a rock into a pond, it ripples. Uh, it's not possible uh, in the way that I view the world for something just to have coincidentally happened. And really at the base of what we're laying down from older ideas is that if we witness or experience a thing here, it's because a spiritual phenomena has already occurred. That's the idea. In older, more spiritual times, the philosophical idea of elements was central to all higher learning. Earth, air, fire, water. Fire holds a special place in this way of thinking about the creation and comprehension of this special element is required to grasp spiritual teachings. So-called alchemy has been defamed in our time, and yet chemistry stands on the shoulders of this older, more elegant, and natural way. We lost vital connections to the creation and spiritual proofs along the way, and in return, we entered a synthetic world that now cries out to find a way back to organic food and medical attention without chemical drugs. We have entered a fallen era of permanent retrograde, which is amply proven in the astrological symbol for retrograde, Rx, which stands as the symbol for modern medicine. So isn't it interesting that when we go to the drugstore, we see the big Rx, and yet we can easily go back and look to the older ideas when astronomy and astrology were the same thing, and Rx stood for retrograde, going backwards. Everything's in plain sight. You just have to pay attention. The main point here for me was, hey, man, I need to comprehend this idea of earth, air, fire, and water better than I do. And the main idea for me is, yeah, we're kind of in a fallen time, but all this still exists. We can still, at this point, get back to this kind of learning and knowing. And do we know why they chose that symbol, by the way? You know, that's a good question, Jason, and I probably should have looked deeper. Uh, I stumbled on this almost 20 years ago 
when I was trying to figure out astrology methods. And I saw it there and I realized when I looked it up, the definition, there were a couple definitions, but the older definition was for retrograde. And it was a symbol at, in the way I was looking at it then, you know, like you see a symbol for a planet or, or a zodiacal sign. It was maybe used in that way, but good point. We should look it up and we should, maybe someone listening will have a good idea of how we, how we ended up putting the RX symbol on drugs. But for my part, I think it, it on the face of it, um, if you're doing chemical drugs, you're in retrograde. Fire is a very special element of which we are all beneficiaries. Spiritual research into fire once comprised a central focus for those describing and comprehending all things that occur in our world. In fire, it is said that we see the element that plays between soul and matter. Of course, light is now part of our focus, as made possible by fire. Older teachings claim you cannot see light, but only material things, thereby illuminated by light. If space existed as described, and there were no material objects, no light would be detected by the human eye in this way of consideration. Is it truly elemental, my dear Watson? The greatest detective of our era seemed to think so, even as he employed science and ran in the opposite direction toward hypermaterialism. So this is an interesting thing because I'm sure people have run into what what was the the genius electrician guy's name that I always forget, Jason? Eric Dollard. Dollard, I think. Uh, I saw him do a version of this where he was basically saying, if you could poke your head out into space and look at the sun, you wouldn't be able to see it because the only way that you can detect the light is when the light or the energy we call light hits an object. And here it is in the older teachings, and they're they're using the idea of fire. Now, fire is unique and special. The further I go back, uh, the more it seems to be singled out. And it tells you, these are things that we should all be aware of. For my money, this is a more elegant way of looking at our world. And the most important part of looking at our world for me in this way is because it doesn't overstep what nature will accept. And in my mind, chemistry does this all the time. As a matter of fact, our our material world does it all the time. And so to know something about these older descriptions is key. But think about that. Here we have a genius like Dollard who, I don't know if he approaches what we think about Tesla or other things, but clearly he's pretty bright man. And he's describing from his own experience exactly what is written in these older teachings. He also has some different ideas about what the sun is and how it really works. Uh, I've listened and I'm intrigued all day long. You know, you and I did a movie basically about the moon. It was about some other things. And I've committed to try to do the same thing this spring when it warms up with the sun. For my money, the sun is the big deal. It is the arbiter of where we are, what we're doing next. Uh, it's the arbiter of almost everything. I almost view the, lunt, the the sun in the way a prism works. So we get all this white light, but when we set that prism down, it breaks it out into most people say seven colors. Doesn't matter. We see all the colors broken out. It's like that with energy. That's how I view it. It's like this big lens that focuses in all these energies into our realm. And so as I get back into filming, And by the way, the sun is among the most difficult things to film. People will say the opposite, but I'm not, I'm not doing this to try to get still images. I'm doing this to try to get very good video. And it's very difficult to do that with the sun. The point is, is it's a big deal. And how have we moved so far away from such an obvious thing that we interact with every day of our lives? In the teachings we have been granted access to in the past 130-ish years, It is claimed that we lost our spiritual vision in and around the 15th and 16th centuries or close to the Renaissance. It is not hard to logically work out that this period of time created art that deviated from the older sources it was copying. Previously, the art and its meaning were front and center and all-important. In the era described here, the artist became the star as the meaning of the art faded into obscurity. This is an important spiritual idea, as what is being lost is the so-called synoptic vision, or seeing with one eye, the spiritual eye. Three of the four Gospels are called synoptic, the book of John being the isolated Gospel scripture. To be clear, the older teachings claim seeing with the spiritual eye 
literally allowed vision of the hierarchies of spiritual realms. One might ask how else that they could be described. So this is why everything we opened with mattered to me, because claim being made here is that we are in retrograde. We had higher human abilities and we've fallen quite a ways. The claim, and it wasn't just in one place, that sometime in the vicinity of the so-called Renaissance, we lost our spiritual vision. But what's claimed and what got me thinking is they're claiming, you know, these spiritual realms we just laid out for you, angels, are we're not guessing. We could see, we could detect, we could physically use our synoptic vision, which is encapsulated in three of the four gospels. They are said to be synoptic. That means seeing with one eye doesn't take a genius to realize that there are high spiritual ideas being encoded in the gospels in this way. But I mean, come on, they're claiming flat out that what we wrote here, we didn't guess, we could see it. And that is intriguing to me. Is it possible that we've fallen so far and lost so much ability? If the answer to that is yes, well, then guess what? That means we can get back, I would estimate. And what's up with the gospels? Why is one being considered different than the other three? The gospels, you could spend a lifetime reading. Uh, there are levels upon levels of meaning, uh, I think, arguably for um, Christians, that is the center of everything, the four Gospels. And it's interesting, like if you took Jesus' dying words on the cross, even in the synoptic Gospels, you'll find there's slight differences. And some people who want to bash people's spiritual paths will say, well, look, these two things are different, but they're missing the point. Because if you examine them, there's slightly different information being offered. But the, just the mere fact that three of those Gospels have forever been described as synoptic, and when you know that means seeing with one eye, they're talking about the one eye, your spiritual eye. Go to India. Why is that dot on every forehead? They're talking about the same thing. Go anywhere. They're just talking about a spiritually elevated ability uh, in different ways. And it's no different in our Gospels uh, here in the West, where most of us were raised Christian. They're, they're referencing this very ability. And in this, they're saying, hey, man, you know, the stuff we wrote down, we could see it. We're not making this up. That's the claim. And who is it that's describing them as synoptic? That's a good question. It's been around, I mean, I've done so many Bible studies in my life and read for so long. I've, I've, I've read that idea for so long, I couldn't tell you. As far as I know, it's always been part of how the Gospels are looked at. And I always remember the book of John because some of my favorite verses of all time are there. The opening words of the book of John, how can you get better than that? I mean, you, everybody knows how I feel about cymatics. What's being said in the opening words of the book of John, incidentally, the one Gospel that is not synoptic. There's a lot of, a lot of information there and there's a lot to be learned. And so this is the whole point of you know, people like to bag on Christians or do the Bible thumping thing. And I think it's a shame. Yeah, people can get annoying with their religious traditions. But what is encapsulated in this book we call the Bible is, I mean, you could spend a lifetime and there's level after level after level. And maybe it's true that people are busy doing things that are annoying or at the, you know, I'm getting started here level. But the point is, is it's better to be at the getting started level and annoy a few people than not to be on the first level at all, in my view. Next, we are going to discuss cycles. They will be arranged in the order of their duration, beginning with one day and ending with 240 million years, one of those vast eons of time. This could be said to represent an eternity, which could only have emanated from peoples who believed in the immortality of the soul. Among these were the Indians, Egyptians, Chaldeans, and Greeks. The Chinese had no vast ages. Neither had the Jews nor the Romans. The Chinese cosmic cycle, a unique instance, being probably of Hindu origin, a modern invention or adoption. This last part of this paragraph people are probably going to have troubles with, but I included it for good reason. As we get into books like The Worship of Augustus Caesar, you're looking at a man who was a real old school researcher. That's a rare thing these days. I know very few people who research at this level. Maybe Michael Hoffman approaches the research that was done in that book. But what's more is it appears to me 
that uh, we can't even get to some of the sources anymore. As a matter of fact, Fortune was talking to me the other day saying this huge event where the government fired on its own people has been completely scrubbed from the internet. I remember having Dylan Sicoccio on and we talked about it. And he, I don't think he finds the same value in this book, but I think it's because he's doing his research in his way. For me, what it represents is a window into information that I don't think we could get otherwise. As a matter of fact, in the very front of that book, it says all these scholars thought this was important. uh, So we kept it in print. There's no money being made. There's no, you know, it's probably copyright free, but it's viewed as that important. So we keep it in print. What's going on here is when you read a book like that, you begin to put together that there's a commonality, whether you're in Egypt, whether you're in India, whether, I mean, it's the same show being put on over and over with a different language, different costumes, different names, and maybe they're not exactly parallel, but the end result is all the same is what I see. All these roads are trying to show a human being how to become a higher human being. If the front part of what we've read here is true, maybe it's, guess what? You're in boot camp, folks. It's hard here. Maybe it's you don't get to leave till you've learned your lessons. I don't know. That's the reason why we look at things like this. But the periods of the sky clock, when you read something like the worship of Augustus Caesar, is on a level that's shocking at first, because we don't have any vestige of this. Every 565 years, there was going to be a new world teacher, and people changed calendars, jacked up clocks, and did all kinds of things so that their lifetime could coincide with that period of time where everyone expected a new leader, and then they could say, guess what? I'm God. I was born at the right time. I'm not kidding you. Augustus did this. There was a run at this with Caesar. And by the way, that all coincides close to where the year zero should have been. All quite fascinating. But these periods of time, I mean, what do you think, Jason? We took, I don't even know, maybe a 15th of the cycles that were listed out. There are many, 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 many. Crap loads. And some of them are, are of a duration that is unimaginable. And I remember when I first got hooked on these ideas, it was the Hindu idea of the Kali Yugas. And that's another thing. In the book, Augustus Caesar, he's referencing all these materials that I assume mostly are unavailable, probably not digitized. Probably he had access in some library somewhere or, you know, the learned men knew each other back then. But he's trying to nail down what the Kali Yuga is in the 1800s and he can't quite do it. But he does find references to say supposedly, and I'm saying supposedly, at the end of every yuga, all the races end and a new root race begins. And now I've forgotten. I think it's the fifth. He's claiming that we're coming up on on the end of what we're doing now to the fifth. Maybe it's the fourth. I think it's the fifth root race. And think about it, man. If there's anything to these ideas, can you imagine the information that the people who are trying to run this show with coercion, mind control, and media. If they have good information, think about what that could mean. So they knew that we were coming to the end of a yuga. I'm supposed, I'm I'm saying, what if here? They knew we were coming to the end of a yuga, and they knew all these things have historically happened at the end of a yuga, but they're going to try to leverage it in their favor. What if Covidius minimus never happened, but there is a huge reduction in human life at this time. I mean, it goes on and on and on, all the suppositions we can make, but we'll jump in and we'll try to illustrate some of these periods of time. And some of it may seem ridiculous, like everybody knows what a day is, but do you? Have you really thought about what the cycle of time called the day is? But here we go, Jason. I hope, I hope we don't lose people here. <laughs> Well, what is the book we're pulling from, and are we going to offer a link to it in case people want to follow along with this? I think most of the notes that you drew, there were a handful of books, but most of the cyclical time-based kind of yuga idea work of cycles of time is going to be pulled by an author called Del Mar from a book called The Worship of Augustus Caesar. Everybody should have a copy of this book, if for no other reason, just to protect it. I mean, everybody knows where we're headed here. If things don't drastically change, we already see the censorship online. Look what Fortune told me the other day, beside himself, because this historical event where 
the leaders of a nation acted like criminals and fired on their own people gone. Think of all the work that was done on some of the things, and we're in hour one, so even I can't dwell too much on it, unless I want the eye of Sauron on me, like Sandy Hoax and other things. That's been scrubbed. I can't tell you how much just effective, well-done work was done on these events. That's all gone. That's There's the memory hole for you. Will we come to a point when libraries end? I think that's a foregone conclusion. I think at some point, there is little doubt if we continue on this trajectory that the libraries, the funding of libraries, that's another thing. Most libraries are funded by people in charge. Here where I live, they've tried to defund a brand new library twice already. But that's the thing. Those are printed books. When that comes to an end, then almost totally we begin to lean digital. The problem with digital it is it is the barn wall and animal farm. Anything can be rewritten any day of the week, and it's hard for anyone to know that it's happened. For that matter, anything can be removed. What happens when a historical event that my generation was quite familiar with, like the hoax that I just mentioned, and we get 20 years in the future and all that information was scrubbed and then they bring it back into the narrative and they say whatever they want about it because no one has the ability to get to the information. So these books are a big deal. If we do get to the Fahrenheit 451 moment, which is also a book, and in that book, they're describing how the fire department shows up, but they're there to start the fire, not put it out. They're there to do the book burning as one of the things that was written into that projective book, much like Animal Farm, 1984, Brave New World, all these books that we always reference that we were all supposed to have read in school that all illustrate where we are now. Point is, is books are a big deal and everybody should be grabbing them and saving them. Even if you don't like to read books, do it anyhow. Find that nephew, find that son or daughter who you can hand them off to. What's held in Augustus Caesar, if the world lost that, it would truly be poorer. That's the main source, Jason. Have you noticed that most modern public libraries are incorporating a lot of digital everything, basically? Everything is being integrated to get you used to the concept? Well, this is the parallel world, right? So we've talked about that. And the whole front part of this show, in my mind, points to an idea that there's a creator, points to the idea that this is an amazing place, this world. It never needs new battery and the life continues on and hardship comes and we get, it's just amazing. And what's even more amazing for those of us that stop to think about it is what we've been granted for crying out loud. We've been granted the divine spark of life. Is there a higher gift anyone could be given? If there is, I don't know about it. We've been granted free will, which everything that's happened recently since 2020 has been about free will. Can we coerce, can we force, can we bully people to use their own free will to give up their free will, basically? But there's more to it. In that gift of free will, which no one can take from you, and you could argue they could put a gun to your head, but still you could choose not to give up your free will. It truly is your, your, under your administration and control. And you get to decide which way it goes. But with free will, what else do we get? We get a gift that supposedly the angels didn't even get in some of the writings I've read. The ability to create. That came with the free will. And lastly, the other thing that's been under attack here is we were all made beneficiaries of this creation. And as I worked to do status work and the legal episodes, the importance of just simply recognizing what I've just said is lost on so many people. How is it that we could have such special things granted to us and lose track of that somehow? Well, this is the parallel world. Anyone who knows anything about trusts knows that basically every religious idea and everything else is the foundation, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. That's what we made our legal man-made trust idea out of. There's a creator that controls everything in a trust. There's a beneficiary, and then there's a uh, trustee. And you don't want to be the trustee. Think of a prison system, right, where the guards need some help. So they're going to pick out, hand choose some prisoners and make them trustees. They got all the work. They got to do all the business and things they're told, and they're also liable for all of it. 
Well, the beneficiary benefits. So these ideas are universal and we've all lost track of it. But this parallel world is proof of what I'm saying. The people who are making a run on controlling everything, wherever they are, comprehend that they can't be gods of this place. They can't do it. They didn't create this. You have no right to claim what you didn't create per se in the way we're talking here. They can't make a fish. They can't make any of it. They can't make a system that never needs a new battery. They can't make earth, water, fire. You know, they can't make this. So they can't put the creator's claim on it. So what they're doing is making a synthetic parallel version. Now they did create that. Now they can be the claim, the creator of that. Now they can begin to try to control who's a beneficiary of their system and who's a trustee. And this is what we've lost track of. That's why all these things to me that we're laying down here, Matt, they're paramount. There is no thing that that matters more. Your spiritual life, what's been given us, how is it that we walk out every night and we have no comprehension of the sky clock? For that matter, we go out in the day and we know very little about the sun or the moon or all these things that used to inform us supposedly when there was a time when human beings actually had spiritual vision and could actually see what we're trying to describe as blind people in our era. So here we are. We're at the crossroads. If we recognize that we've been given the divine spark of life, if we recognize that we've been given free will, if we recognize that we are actually beneficiaries of this creation, by the way, a version of that is told in the book of Genesis, right? Then we are at least have tools to deal with the onslaught in front of us. But what it comes down to is if you actually comprehend, you don't have to do a damn thing you don't want to do in this world. And the truth of it is, is if many, many, many people felt the same way, everything changes. It's these basic things that are tied to the natural world made by the creator, not the materialistic, synthetic version that's running parallel, making a run for all of us, trying to get us into the ready player one Fugazi world. It's not even a pale shadow of the real world. That that's the main point of all of this. The first cycle we're going to address is one day. The period of the Earth's revolution on its axis constitutes the most perfect measure of time. The time occupied in this movement is called a day. Seems like a pretty basic thing to say, but you know, I'll challenge anyone out there. Go out there and do some research on exactly how long a day is. While you're at it, look into calendars. There is no more effective means of control ever devised by a human mind than the calendar. It is incredible what was done with the calendar. And so as we go in here, you'll realize that, like, think of the Mayans. Remember how they always try to illustrate all these calendars for the Mayans? They were like gears. You know, I don't even know how many there were. Lots and lots. Big ones, little ones, huge cycles, smaller cycles, but they all connected. Now, there's a way to view nature. There's a way for a human mind to try to recognize how special this place is. The sun does not do it all for us. Well, we need the moon. Well, those two things don't do it all for us. And by the way, what about this particular cycle of the moon, the metonic, or what about, you know, on and on it goes. But what's happened to us is our full spectrum spiritual vision has been cut down to a single ray of light, basically, the sun. It's how we do everything. It's all done by the sun for us in this part of the world. And I could parallel that to the idea of what the stories we've been told about so-called ancient Rome, right? They had a temple to Mars. They had a temple to Jupiter. And everybody has been taught how to think about this in the wrong way from my point of view. They weren't looking at gods. They were looking at energies, aspects of nature. As we did the episode showing how the Vatican basically took over the game. The last thing on the table was Mithraism, the invincible sun, Saul Invictus. So they had eliminated all these other temples. Well, we could view that as full spectrum. In their time, supposedly there were seven luminaries. So that would represent the idea of full spectrum view of the so-called energies that could influence our existence here. But they removed them one by one by one by one down to the sun. 
well, maybe that's not so bad because as I said earlier, the sun seems to almost lens all those energies in. But you see what's happened. And instead of having a full spectrum view, we have a single spectrum. There is no way for the sun to delineate a moon in the way we'd like to see it happen. And yet it does. We don't appreciate the moon. We've thrown that out with the bathwater. So the point I'm making is these cycles, we've got to get back one way or the other. We've got to get back. And this was part of our gift. Uh, Someone just emailed me. Uh, as a matter of fact, we're going we're gonna to meet with him. And he was telling me he was brought up Judaism. I think he departed. Uh, I think he went Christian for a while, but he was showing me all the references from Jewish writings, which is basically the creator telling people, it's your job to determine the cycles of time. Now, one of the code ninjas who helps me keep the site going, you occasionally see his name. People ask me who it is. He's one of the guys that helps me with problems with the code. He pointed out the Islamic versions of that. Everyone's got them, and yet we know so little about them. And for me, this all bounces us back to the fact that we are beneficiaries of this creation, and we got to get off our butts now and appreciate what has been given us. And the cycles of time are a big deal to us in this creation. Next, we will address the seven-day week or the hebdomadal cycle. This is not a natural, that is to say, an astronomical cycle, but an artificial one. It is not exactly, but only roughly, the fourth part of a lunar month, which consists of about 29 and a half days. The seven-day wake, or week, might possibly have been employed by primitive tribes before any solar calendar was in use, though of such a circumstance, no record survives. The Akkadian and Chaldean evidence during the many centuries when time was reckoned by solar years of ten civil months. Its present observance as a day of rest has not been traced further backward than the adoption of a twelve-month year, which occurred during the second Buddhic period. Even during that period, it was not used by Greeks or Romans until those peoples adopted the Dionysian cult. On this point, we have the explicit testimony of Dion Cassius, who, writing about A.D. 229, says of the Septuary week, It is not very long since this custom was introduced by the Egyptians to other nations, for I believe the ancient Greeks had no knowledge of it. All right. Uh, What you're looking at here is one excerpt from one part of Augustus Caesar, and there is so much you can deduce here. First of all, the week's artificial. In other words, it has no direct tie to the creation per se. Uh, He also does things like takes the word week and writes what it used to be called at some point in his research, awake, W-A-K-E. But what he's really pointing out here is we went to 12 months. We know exactly when it happened. He called it the second Buddhic period. But you see, we don't think about the Buddha in the right way because we've had our minds bent with religion and our ways right and your ways wrong. Truth is, when you look at the research like this, the Romans were fully aware of these Buddhic periods. And it could be argued that what Augustus did was based on those old Hindu Buddhic ideas. Here's the point. Cassius is writing saying, hey, man, this 12-month thing is brand new. We had 10 civil months, and it was a much cleaner division of the year. And what do we have, Jason? We have proof that this is true, right? We have October. Everybody knows Oct is eight. Well, why isn't October the eighth month? This is why. Because they added another two months. Well, why did they do it? They did it to break us from the cycles of time. In the same way, the Vatican made it shameful to be a person who lived close to nature. You were a pagan and they shamed you. This is a different version of that same thing. Why? Because we were granted as beneficiaries to this creation. So those people who want to take over the creator's role, they got to separate you from that. And this is, in my mind, one version of that. And as you jump into these things, it's almost staggering to show the universality of what cycles of time once were, but right about the time of nearing the last third of Rome, everything changed. And we started getting all these, wait for it, artificial measures of time. In that book, and I'm not even kidding, it is claimed that the people of Rome 
were so aware that someone was trying to jack up the calendar that they voted to implement pounding iron spikes into marble so it couldn't be edited. And you know what? They did it. And guess what? It didn't work. The time was still jacked up as an example. So we're almost at the top of the hour here, but is it safe to say that the month of August is named after Augustus? I think so. And I think July is probably Julian. There are versions. You can take more popular ideas behind it. But in that book, the book is not easy in the front half where he's breaking things out. But when you get into how much research went into this, it is staggering. I don't, I don't, I I know I'm not a bright enough individual to lay down what he lay. I, I, I'm just not, I don't have enough synapses to rub together, but as he gets into it, he starts saying things like, well, there's this other guy who was a chronologer who I really respect. And without the work he did, I wouldn't be able to do this, but he's, he, he makes this statement, the two biggest jackups of our ability to know anything about our past via chronology was the lunar calendar. And the second was the ADBC switch. And he said, if people only knew what that encompasses and what the causes that followed that were, and it was all done by design. But there it is, Jason. I'm going to do a wrap up for the first hour, 469. We're going to come back and we're going to keep going into the cycles. By the way, if we're a little low energy, I got to tell you, Jason was really quite sick. We had to cancel four recording days. And I'm on the edge of a little cold now, but we'll do what we can do. I want to remind everybody that we are going to do a question and answer on air with Fortune to St. Germain. We will accept questions from members because we can't deal with just thousands of them. If you're a member, log in, go to the main forum under Ask Crow and go to the submit questions for Fortune. There's an email there that Rose has provided and you can submit your questions. Please be concise. Get to the point. If we get hundreds and hundreds, we're going to take the best that we can get through in the amount of time we have, which will be two hours. But there it is. You want to add anything, Jason? Well, in hour two, we're going to be going through a lot more of these cycles. And I'm assuming you have a good way to break these cycles down as they've been presented. I do the best I can. And I'm not kidding. I'm not nowhere near bright enough to handle the research that went into this. And while someone like Dylan looked at it, and he took umbrage with some of the parts. That's fine. Actually, that's good. But the main thing is this book shows what was on offer back in other times. And it's unbelievable how far we've come from it. All right. There is hour one of episode 469. Hour one is free to everybody at crow777radio.com, C-R-R-O-W, 777radio.com. No login required. Members know to log in for the full member episode, and those members can also go to the main forum to submit questions for Fortune to St. Germain to answer. We will only accept those until the 11th of this month of January. With that, I hope to see you on the other side. Uh, These are very interesting episodes, and it's hard to figure out a way to talk about it. That's how far removed I feel like I am in my personal existence. Anyhow, with that, I'd like to wish you all a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era. Cheers.
belief is the enemy of knowing.